But I do have a message I want to present uh, to you here this morning. Continuing in our series that we've called You've Asked For It, where you've had opportunities to submit whatever burning questions you have about the Christian faith, the Christian life, the Bible, and we're taking a few of those questions over these weeks and addressing those on Sunday morning. Uh, A number of those questions pertained to the afterlife, whether uh, in the direction of heaven or in the direction of hell, and so I thought I was gonna take a couple of those questions about the afterlife uh, and uh, speak about those over these next couple Sundays this morning, addressing a question about heaven, and next week, uh, I think you've got the title in your bulletin there. I wanted to give myself an extra week to prepare for that one. One of you was really nasty giving me that question. How can a loving God send people to hell? So that's, uh, so you're giving me high blood pressure, guys. You need to stop it. That's next week. But um, this, we're going to talk a bit this morning about heaven. Not about what you think heaven is, what the Bible says heaven is. Um, and, And I think it's a great topic given that we had a funeral here in this space yesterday, about 24 hours ago, and I think I saw Danny. Are Danny, are you here somewhere? Yeah. Okay, there's Danny, some of the family. Cheryl, are you up there? Okay, the rest of the family, welcome, guys. Um, last Sunday, Danny was up here speaking, and I think Samara, his daughter, was involved in worship, and then, and, and, uh, and his dad, Norm, was here. I'm sure just being proud as punch about uh, his, his family. And the next day, he had a stroke, And the following day, this past Tuesday, he passed away and uh, went to receive his eternal reward. And uh, anyway, since that all happened since last Sunday, many of you were aware, many of you weren't. Um, So I hope this message just uh, is a source of joy and comfort to you guys this morning too, as we talk about what the Lord has in store for those who belong to him. And I wanna talk about uh, heaven for a few reasons. Uh, First of all, because there's just a lot of curiosity about the topic, both in the church And outside the church, whatever brand of spirituality someone claims, there's a lot of interest and curiosity about the afterlife because we all know that death is a coming. And we're gonna have to face it, whatever it is. Uh, And so this brings all these questions to the fore. Do you know the the best-selling Christian book of the last 15 years? The name of that book? Heaven is for real. That's right, you were probably here in the first service. Yes, you were, Rob, but thank you. (laughs) You're not supposed to spoil it, Rob. (laughs) Yeah, many of you have read the book. The movie just came out, I think, in the last year or two. And it's a story of, uh, whether you think it's a nonfiction or fiction story, it's it's the account of a four-year-old boy, Colton Burpee, who dies, I think on the operating table, and for a period of time, and makes this journey to heaven, where he has these experiences, and he uh, returns to life, and as a four-year-old recounts these experiences, which, which his dad turns into a book, best-selling book of the last 15 years in Christian bookstores. So it obviously strikes a nerve because we got all these questions, and in this book, if you've read it, you know that he sits on the lap of Jesus, and there's Mary, beside him and the angels are singing to him and he gets fitted with wings and a halo but he recounts how it was a little too tight for him. He needed one size up. Um, but, uh, but there was a halo, okay. Uh, he met the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's kind of blue in case any of you were wondering. Um, you know, interesting accounts but it kind of strikes a nerve. We, we have all these 
answer as we see questions to, is my dog Rusty going to be in heaven, right? Uh, am I going to recognize Grandpa when I'm there? And, and so we are, our mind turns to heaven a lot with these questions. And we want to turn to the Bible with those questions. I mean, books are okay, but um, I would caution you about trying to find too many answers or insights in books. In fact, the big bestseller before this Heaven is for Real book was by a young kid named Alex Malarkey. I think it, the name of the book was The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. And a couple of years ago, he, he confessed that the whole thing was a fabrication and everything. And some of you maybe read the book. So anyway, we don't want to put too much stock in there. We're not, we're not going to find helpful answers there. But we will find helpful answers here to the questions that we have. I want to speak about heaven too because there is a lot of misinformation. Maybe because of things we're exposed to outside of the Bible uh, in, in movies and in pictures. We have this picture of, of heaven that um, as I've studied the Bible, I, I realize it wasn't the, really the biblical picture of what God has in store for those who belong to him. My view maybe had been shaped more by Hollywood than the Bible, or maybe by the Philadelphia cream cheese commercials. Have you seen that? Those? I haven't seen those in a while. But right, what is heaven? Heaven is a place on fluffy clouds where you have a robe, white robe, and wear wings and play a harp and eat cream cheese. Now, some of you, that sounds really good. You would go for that. Some of you, that whole picture of heaven is just not appetizing at all. Really? That sounds boring. Uh, but this is kind of the picture we have when we hear the word heaven. Some version of this. Disembodied spirits floating around in some sort of peaceful, serene, white, shiny place where God is. I also want to talk about heaven because it has implications. The answer has implications for how we live today. The answers matter. So what do we normally mean when we use the word heaven? When we talk about heaven, we're normally referring to that place that is the final destination of all of those who belong to God. That place where we will live forever in the presence of God. That place we call heaven. The biblical description we'll find is a little bit different or maybe a lot different than the notion that you have of that place. We're going to look at that and see maybe why that matters. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to read Romans chapter 8 verses 18 through 25. Romans 8, 18 through 25. Verse 18. I consider, this is Paul speaking. He says, I consider that our present suffering, sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. 
But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So Paul, uh, he begins by talking about all the sufferings that he faces and all the sufferings he sees in the world and all of creation. And he uses the words like sufferings, frustration, decay, groaning. And he's talking about all of the effects of sin in human existence. Sin in our body. I mean, some of you, you know the groaning of sin in your body, right? You know sickness. You know that feeling. You know that frustration. We see it in the world, a world laden with the effects of brokenness and sinfulness. And it's in this context that he speaks about the hope that he's clinging on to. In the face of all this groaning and suffering and sin, he has a hope. What is his hope? What is his hope? You might say heaven. Okay, what kind of heaven? Because we might expect that Paul would say something like this. I, you know, I, I, I'm groaning inwardly to be free from all this suffering, to be free from this world which is a sinking ship. I long to be rescued, to be evacuated from this place and brought to wherever God is, heaven, where I can dwell with him there forever. That's what we might expect him to describe as his hope, because that's certainly the way that many of the hymn writers over the years, beautiful hymns that we sing, describe the hope, normally in the last verse. Right, you get to the last verse, and it talks about heaven. And you've got uh, a, ver- a hymn like I'll Fly Away, which says, one glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away. To that land on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away, or abide with me, which says, shine through the gloom, point me to the skies, heaven's morning breaks, and earth's vain shadows flee. Normally, in these hymns, it depicts the Christian's hope, the hope of heaven as this evacuation from this broken place, this place of suffering, to another place where God is, where we will dwell with him forever. And that's not wrong, but it's just incomplete. It's incomplete. That's not the hope that Paul describes here in this chapter. What is the hope? Anybody want to hazard a guess? No, you don't. Okay, I know, you're nervous. He says, my hope is the redemption of my body. Did you see that? In this hope we were saved. What is he groaning inwardly? What is is he waiting eagerly for? He's waiting for the redemption of his body, he says. Now what does he mean when he says the redemption of his body is his hope? Well, if you go back a few verses in verse 11 of chapter eight, uh, He says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So he's saying that there is a life that this body is yet gonna have, this mortal body, and it's the same sort of life 
that was given to Jesus when Jesus was raised from the dead. So he says, what will happen to Christ is my hope. What will happen to Christ is what will happen to me if I belong to him, if I have his spirit that dwells within me. And what happened to Jesus Christ? He died on the cross and three days later, what did he do? This is where you feel good about yourself. You all get the right answer. He rose from the dead. He didn't rise as some sort of spirit ghost man who appeared in a vision to people before he ascended back up to heaven. No, he arose a human being with a human body. And he came and he said to Thomas, no, 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 don't be scared, I'm not a ghost, Thomas. Touch, flesh, bone, blood. He had been resurrected in his body and he looked like Jesus. He was recognized as Jesus. Oh, there's Jesus. Why? Because he looks like Jesus. He had the body of Jesus. And so there was continuity in his body, and yet there was some degree of change. There was transformation. This was a glorious body, the same and yet different. Different in that this body now was free, was liberated from all the effects of sin. You can imagine a body where sin has no effect, there is no decay, there is only strength life and complete health and complete well-being. And this was the resurrected body of Jesus, a real body but a changed body. We often think of the resurrection kind of as the poor little sister to the crucifixion. It was nice, you know, Jesus just throwing a little icing on the cake. I gave you the resurrection, I'm gonna throw, I gave you the crucifixion, I'm just gonna throw in the resurrection. It's kind of the free dessert after the entree or maybe the point after the field or after the touchdown, right? It's all about the crucifixion and, and the resurrection. That's, that's kind of nice. That's not how the Bible speaks about the importance of the resurrection. Paul in the New Testament speaks about the resurrection as the, lin- the linchpin of our hope, the anchor of our hope, the thing that secures our liberation and secures our life. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12. He says, if it is preached that Christ has not been raised from the dead, or if it has been preached, sorry, let me begin again. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Faith. If there's no resurrection, your faith is useless. He goes on in verse 16. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Why? Why are you still in your sins if Jesus died on the cross but didn't raise from the dead? It's because sin has a certain effect. The Bible tells us what the effect of sin is. For the wages of sin is death. Sin necessarily brings death. Sin can only be undone where the effects of sin are totally undone. And so on the cross, Jesus dies for your sin and my sin, the sins of the world. He pays the price for those sins on the cross, but it's in... The cross necessitates the resurrection. It is incomplete without the resurrection. Sin leads to death, and death too must be overcome as sin is overcome. And Jesus overcomes the power of death. He brings eternal life through his resurrection from the dead, the redemption of his body. Sin had to be overcome, defeated, and death had to as well. 
And so he has this resurrected body full of life, not like life before, full life. And Paul says, just as Christ has been raised, so all of you who belong to him, you too, you too will be raised as Christ has been raised. Verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, first, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So Paul says, our hope, our hope is that we too will receive the redemption of our bodies. So our bodies, if we believe in, if we belong to Christ, we too will be raised from the dead. And somebody asked me after the first service. I had a line of people asking questions, so apparently the sermon raised more questions than it answered. That's okay. We're not trying to figure out heaven completely, but there's an important truth, okay? And the person asked, well, what if you're cremated? What if your ashes are spread over the mountain, right? I've actually that question three or four times in the box. Not a problem to God, okay? Not a problem to God. God, God can assemble your body, It's a supernatural act, but the body, wherever it is, will rise, a resurrected body like the body of Christ. Continuity, yet transformation. Um, In the meantime, of course, if you you or I die, our, our brother Norm, he hasn't received his resurrected body. But at the moment of death, Paul says, um, It is better to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And Jesus said to the thief on the cross, this very day, you're gonna be with me in paradise. At the moment of death, those who belong to him enter the presence of God, but that's not their final destination, as we will see. That's not heaven the way we think of heaven. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter eight. Verses 19 For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Why in the world is he talking about creation, creation, creation when he's talking about his hope in heaven? and the redemption of his body. And it's because here's an important truth. Paul is saying that not only is salvation about saving your soul, salvation is about saving your body, redeeming your body. Not only is it about redeeming your body, but in salvation, God is doing a redemptive work over all of creation. When Jesus came and he died on the cross, it was for way more than saving your soul. He was enacting his plan to redeem all of creation, that it might be liberated from its bondage to decay, just like our bodies. All the brokenness and the effects of sin that God has allowed to be unleashed into the world. Because it said that creation has been subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Who's that person? Not Satan, that's God. God subjects it, God allows the world to receive the reward of its sin in all, in all its various forms and sufferings. But God had a plan to liberate us and liberate creation from the power and the effects of sin and to restore it. 
So what Paul is saying is here is God is not, God is not gonna destroy the earth the way we normally think of God destroying the earth. It says in 2 Peter chapter three that on that day, fire will come and will kind of melt the elements and it's a bit of a apocalyptic sort of scene, but, but we think of fire more often as destruction and it's talking about fire as purification. What does a fire do? You put something in, 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 in the furnace and the fire burns away the impurities and what does it leave? It leaves that which is pure. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the impurities being burned away and all that's left is that which is good and of God, right? He says that's gonna happen to the world, right? Death gets nothing, right? It's not like when Jesus came and died on the cross, he was able to snatch our souls, but Satan got the body, and death got the body, and death got creation. No, 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 no. For death to be defeated, it had to be totally overcome. Death gets nothing. God gets everything, amen? I mean, this is good. God, God gets everything. Death is completely overcome. And so God is not going to destroy the earth so much as he will purify it, he will redeem it, he will restore it, and that's all kind of a mystery just as it is a mystery how the body will be redeemed. There'll be continuity. It'll It'll be our world. It'll be the world God made, and yet it'll be a restored world. It'll be a transformed world like our bodies will be. And I, you can talk about how that's gonna look and it's kind of exciting. What is that gonna be? They gonna be mountains, be forests, orchards, farms, fishing, crocheting? <laughs> I doubt it. There will not be crocheting in heaven. <laughs> there will be crocheters, but only by the skin of their teeth will they get in. <laughs> only if they confess their sins that they've done to their pastor will they... So this is the plan of God. This is the salvation of God. And we get this picture at the very end of the Bible. You know the Bible begins with the creation of the world. God makes it all and God calls it good. It's good. It's the will of God. He delights in it. And then sin enters the world and the whole Bible is the story of how God returns, restores, redeems it all. And so at the very end of the Bible you have this picture of this time, heaven, the destination of those who belong to God in Christ Jesus. And in Revelation 21, verse one, it says, then I saw, this is what what John sees, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming uh, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be Uh, his people and and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain for the old order of things has passed away. All that frustration, all that groaning is gone. Now it's just redemption, liberation. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I am making everything new. This is God's plan of salvation. So, and, and if you go on, I won't read in, in chapter 22, but, but what you get is the language of Eden. You get the language of restoration. And so all that to say, our final destination as, as those who belong to God is, 
is, is not this heaven far away that's alien to us. Heaven's final destination is here. God dwells with his people on the world that he made that was fallen but which is redeemed through Jesus Christ. It does say in Philippians chapter three, verse 20, and you might say, hold on, I mean, there's, there's certain passages in the Bible that, that um, kind of beg certain questions, but it says in Philippians chapter three, 20, that we are citizens of heaven, citizens of heaven. This is true. And when Paul said that we are citizens of heaven in Philippians three, chapter 20, he didn't mean that our home is in heaven. You know, we say this place is not our home. We're going home. Well, that's not necessarily true. This place is our home. This place will be our home. Be a different place, but it'll be this place. Because he says this, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus. So he doesn't say, we eagerly await for him to take us from this place up to there. He says, no, we eagerly await for that savior, our savior who's in heaven, to come here, to return as he has promised. And then when he comes by his power, he will, in verse 21, he will bring everything under his control. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. 1 Corinthians 15, Christ uh, is resurrected. He's the first fruits. When he comes, those who belong to him will be resurrected. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. What do you get a picture of? You get a picture of Jesus coming again. And when he comes again, our salvation will be complete. Redemption of our bodies, redemption, liberation of creation. God will get it all. The one who made the world will reconcile the world to himself and will establish his kingdom forever and ever and ever and ever on the earth that he redeems. And what will we do? Will we sing it in an angelic choir? Some of you hope so, but you're gonna hope I'm not in it. I don't know, who knows, but you know what? I, all these questions. But the Bible's pretty clear that, that heaven, in heaven we will rule with Christ. This is the word that keeps coming up again and again. We will reign over creation with him. And that's the exact same word in, in Genesis chapter one, verse 28, when God made man and woman, he put them in his world, and he said, now you rule over the world. Don't exploit it, it's not what he made for a rule. I mean, look after it, take care of it, use my authority in it. And just as God gave that role to them back then, so this is the role that he will give us for all eternity to rule over his creation with him. So I think sometimes our view of salvation is just rather feeble, just kind of anemic and weak and small. Like salvation is God just grasping our souls from the clutch of death and everything else burns and perishes. No, 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 no. That salvation is too small for God. The salvation of God encompasses all of creation. He redeems it all and brings it under his rule. What does it matter? Interesting conversation, but really, what does it matter? Does it make any difference? I think maybe it makes a difference. 
It makes a difference. You know, the way we understand salvation makes a difference. It impacts how we relate to our world today. Because if salvation is just about God snatching our souls away from the sinking ship to go somewhere else, then all of this is just destined for destruction, then who cares about all this? Who cares? It's destined for destruction. If you knew your car was gonna go to, to the junkyard next week, would you put any money into it? Would you work on it? Would you drive it carefully? You'd drive it hard, you wouldn't care. If you knew that your home was scheduled to be demolished in a month, would you fix the cracks? Would you put on new wallpaper? Would you care? No, you wouldn't. It's all destined for destruction, right? That sort of warped view has led really Christians to be really poor stewards, actually. Really poor stewards of the world. Because it's kind of the attitude I had, who cares? Use it and then discard it. That's what God does. Not so. Not so if Paul's to be believed. It's led to Christians retreating from the world. Now, I, I love being a Mennonite because I get to eat Varenka and Schmontfat and Parmesan <laughs> and I've been introduced to those glories. But you know, my ancestors, they, they did a lot well, but, but I think they kind of embraced this sort of wrong thinking about salvation, which led them to retreat from the world. They found their little corner where they couldn't be disturbed, where they could wait. So God would evacuate them up to their home. Except that's not what it's about. We ought not to retreat from the world, but if this is true, we are to exert effort to bring God's kingdom and reality into this world. And this is the prayer of the Christian, isn't it? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is to be the heart cry of those who follow Jesus, who have this hope. And Paul says, and I, he ends his chapter on resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. It's all about the resurrection, the life to come. His last verse, he says this. He wraps it all up and he says, therefore, all of this being true, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What does he mean when he says, because now you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I think what Paul is saying is, listen, everything you do here in building the kingdom of God is not in vain because it will remain. It will remain when God comes and he ushers in his kingdom in completion. That which you have built, all of your work and your efforts will remain. None of it will have been done in vain, he says. So therefore, work, stand firm. God will incorporate your work into his liberated, renewed world in some sort of, I don't know, mysterious way. Don't retreat from the world, work in it. So I get excited about that picture of heaven. I hope you do too. I get excited about God's scope of salvation, how broad it is, how he will, re he, he will redeem and liberate all of creation and even our bodies. Hopefully I won't have thinking arms in heaven. 
We will reign with God in his restored creation forever and ever and ever, and forever and ever is a long time. When you think of eternity, how can you even compute that? You can't, it makes your head hurt. But I heard uh, an illustration once that kind of, for the first time, I felt the weight of eternity. And a man said, eternity is, it's like, imagine the earth, which is a ball that's 25,000 miles around in diameter or in circumference. Imagine that the earth is a steel ball, solid steel, and that there's a canary that gets released from a cage once every million years. And that canary comes and he lands on on the ball, the earth-sized ball, and he sharpens his beak on the ball, and then he returns to his cage. And a million years later, released from the cage again, comes and sharpens his beak. By the time that that earth-sized ball of steel is reduced to a BB, eternity will have just begun. I thought, wow. It hit me. That's a long time. There's a lot on the line. It kind of put everything here and now into perspective, and I think it did for Paul as well, because he opened that passage by saying this in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. All of the brokenness, all of the suffering, all the groaning, all the frustration, all the decay that we are subjected to now, it's not worth comparing to all the glory that we will know for all of eternity when God redeems us and our bodies and all of creation. So, let's stay faithful. As his people, let's fix our eyes on that hope. Let's fix our eyes forward and let's not just wait to be taken away somewhere far, far away. But as Paul said, let's stand firm, immovable, and let's labor for the Lord, building his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven on earth which God will complete one day because none of our labor is in vain. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? (coughs) Father God, you made the world and we thank you for this beautiful world. I just saw a beautiful little piece of it in Kenya. Banana trees, palm trees, beautiful, Lord. Your creative mind is incredible and You made it all for us. We might enjoy it and you might bring you glory and you called it good and I thank you, Father, that you're not just gonna give up on it, that you haven't given up on it and you haven't given up on us. I thank you that in your son Jesus that you you paid the price and you came and, and you took on flesh and you bore our sufferings and our groanings and our decay and you died on the cross for our sin to overcome the power of sin and you rose from the dead overcoming death, securing life for all of us who would believe in you, trust in you. We thank you, Father, for this certain hope, Lord, that you give us even in our days, even in our days and moments of suffering and groaning, Lord. You have this hope that goes beyond all of that and tells us that the day is coming when you will redeem us. You will redeem our bodies and you will redeem this world and we will rule with you forever and ever and ever. We long for that day. Lord, but until that day comes, I just pray that, as Paul said, that we might stand firm, be unmovable, Lord, that we might uh, not wait, but that we would work for you. 
In Jesus' name, amen.